0: The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're going to turn to the book of Matthew. If you have a Bible, uh, we are looking at the book of Matthew. That's chapter 16 that we're going to be looking at this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a few right here. And uh, we are picking up in Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 20, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to read these verses as we go through them, and read them as we look through this passage together. But we're going to pray for God's help in understanding in a, and living in his word this morning. All right, Father, as we turn to your word and hear about the story of Jesus, I ask that you would use your, your words um, as leaven in our own souls to know him And to confess him and to trust him. Um, Lord, would we be like Peter and know who you are this morning. So would you use your word this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit for this purpose. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know how you're feeling about going through the book of Matthew together. Um, It's been pretty fun to go through it, uh, but we're about 16 chapters in exactly, to be exact. And uh, it can feel a bit, um, if we were honest, Like, okay, wow, we've still got half the book still to go. (laughs) Like, is there anything else that we could do? This last week, I had this thought of like, you know, I wish we could do like, um, just like a topical series on something really practical, you know? Like, I just found myself beginning to feel a little like, man, could we just take a break from Matthew? Um, And I think that that is uh, a little bit of what's going on as Matthew's writing the book of Matthew for us. He's writing the story of Jesus, and we're getting to this point in the story where it can feel like I'm getting a little bored. Jesus is doing some great things, but I can feel a little bit of some boredom setting in because it's just one great thing after another. Um, and that's, what, that's uh, that can be captured in this phrase. I don't know if you guys know the phrase called mission creep, where you, the temptation is we've got one thing to do, but then there's all these other good things that we could touch on. Like There's one thing to do in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is all about who Jesus is and why he came. And the mission creep can be, well, why don't we kind of add in these extra things to kind of uh, make it a little bit more spicy. Um, like when you're doing like a home project, mission creep can be, I'm gonna just do the shelf in the in the closet and then at the end of the weekend, you've ripped everything out, you've redone your clothes and you've you know, re-spackled and painted the walls and on the shelving, right? You kind of like added things in as you've gone. You've missed the main point. And the the chapter of Matthew here, chapter 16, as we're looking at this, is a bit of Matthew's correction. All right, we're going to stay on point. We're going to keep the main thing, the main thing, and we're not going to kind of mission creep, lose scope of what we're looking at because we want to stay on focus and insist on this main point. And that's what Jesus is doing in this story. We're looking at the story where Jesus is addressing the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he's addressing his disciples And then his disciples are responding to who he is. And he is trying to keep us focused on verse 16 here of Matthew, when Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's trying to keep that one thing. What does it mean to say who Jesus is? Who are you, Jesus? Trying to keep that at the main center focus of who we are and how we relate to God. He's keeping that in our focus because we're often tempted by our traditions to lose focus of who Jesus is, and we're often tempted by our own confusion to lose focus of who Jesus is and what he's about. So here's the main point of the whole, whole chapter we we're looking at. We want to be confessing Jesus to join God's forever family. That's the main point. If you're thinking, what do I take? How do I check out at this point? We we're trying to just focus on this one thing, confessing Jesus to join God's forever family, and that we're going to look at three ways that this passage does that for us or shows us how to do that. The first thing we're going to pick up in verse 1 is confessing our idols. If we're going to be confessing Jesus to join God's forever family, a part of what Jesus wants to do is clear the way, get things out of our hearts that shouldn't be there. So we're going to pick up in verse 1 through 4, and this is where uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to him. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. So here they're coming to Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, we want you to play on our terms. This is... just to put this in perspective, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the the fact that they're coming together is like getting Democrats and Republicans to agree to one thing in Congress right now. Like they are totally at odds, right? They're in the same house, they've got the same deal going on, but they never work together. And here they've got enemy number one in sight, Jesus. All right, Democrats and Republicans, Pharisees and Sadducees, we're coming together and we're gonna make an all-out frontal assault on Jesus. Jesus, would you show us a sign from heaven? And he answered them, when it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. right? So, I don't know if you guys grew up with this. My dad uh, was in the Coast Guard, and I grew up with this. He would always kind of throw out this proverb, you know, red sky by night, sailor's delight. Red sky by morning, sailor take warning. You guys know that, that phrase? Yeah, it, it's... That's basically what Jesus and I was kind of amazed. I was like, "Oh wow, that's like an ancient proverb. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that. I thought that was discovered by our, you know, modern wits. But Jesus is saying basically the same thing. Look, you know how to interpret what's going on with the weather. He can kind of see, okay, things are going to change or things are different. Um, and he's saying, you know how to do that with the weather, which is like, you know, like regular, common. Like we, we all still do the day. How's the weather today? I have an app on my phone to tell me how the weather is. It's like the basic things we want to know. But you can't do that, he's saying, with all these things that are going on around you that I'm causing, right? Jesus is saying, look, I'm the one who just, he just got back from going out into the pagan world and throwing a 4,000-member feast off of a loaf of bread, right? And he's saying, you can't figure out what's going on? Like, why? you want me to play in your terms is what he's, he's calling him out on, right? Pick up in verse 4, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except that of the sign of, jo- of Jonah. And he left them and departed. Right, you see, he's going after this verse 4. He knows what's going down in their hearts. He's saying, I know that you want me to play on your terms. I know you want me to be God on your terms and you know, play by your rules. And not only am I not going to do that, I'm actually going to frustrate your plan. <laughs> right, you, you want me to give you a miracle on your terms to, to show, like, okay, yep, yeah, I am who I say I am, and I'm going to be a dog on your leash. No, I'm not going to do it. Actually, I'm going to go out of my way and frustrate you because the only sign that you're going to get, if you really want one, is going to be the sign of the prophet Jonah. We're going to get to that, but he's after the spiritual idolatry. This, uh, they, what they have gone after, this what he calls the evil and adulterous generation. What they've done is they've taken good things and they've turned them into ultimate things. Right? They've ch- they've taken uh, the things that they that God commands and replace God with them. So the Pharisees, they were this political party that developed at the time and they were all committed to, we want to live according to God's holiness. We want to live a holy life. We want to be like God, which is good, right? <laughs> that's a good desire. That, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be like God. Actually, that's what God says. Be like me, for I am holy, right? But they had developed, as we looked through the book of Matthew, they developed all these ridiculous rules that they commanded people to, to live by, right? You dress a certain way, you walk a certain way. You have these certain habits on the Sabbath. You don't do these things. You do your relationships only like this. And if you don't do those things, then you've basically transgressed and you've sinned against God Himself. Which is, you only sin when you kind of when you're doing the the breaking the top ten, right, so to speak. But they had taken all these things and they'd made them equal with God's commandments. And then the Sadducees, they were this political party that they they were the power brokers of the temple. They were the ones. That were uh, running the, the temple at the time. They were running the church, <laughs> and they wanted worship to be done in a certain way, at a, on their terms. And it's not bad to want to have orderly worship, right? It's not we, we have our own the way we do things here as a church. It's we worship a certain way. They had they had done that with the temple. They just said, "You're going to worship on our terms," and we're gonna, they were the power brokers. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. But what they'd done is they'd taken this this desire for holiness and worship. And they'd removed god from the picture they'd removed jesus out of the purpose of those things because here jesus is calling them on it he's saying um you guys have your own political agendas and you don't realize that worship and holiness are all about me <laughs> on my terms not your terms my terms and jesus is calling him out and turning these good things into idols remember i don't know if you guys remember a few weeks ago Uh, We refer to this Tim Keller quote on idolatry. He says an idol is something we cannot live without, right? It's a good thing that we've turned it into an ultimate thing. It's a thing we cannot live without. We must have it. Therefore, it drives us to break rules we once honored, to harm others, even ourselves, in order to get it. They have taken these good things that God has given them, worship. What does it mean to live a life that honors God? And they removed God from the picture and made them ultimate things. Right the thing is as we go through the book of Matthew I hope you're seeing this Jesus his strongest words of correction and attack are against religious people <laughs> people who go to church on Sunday mornings but remove God from their worship people who live lives with God through the week but they live God they live with a small g God and they remove the big G God out of their lives on a daily basis right Jesus is going after all these little idols that we all have, right? This, religious people uh, are no different than our neighbors. We've just put uh, a good veneer on our idols, right? The type of idols that religious people have, right? First and foremost, the ways in which we live out our holiness, Jesus is touching on here, right? This is what it means to honor, live a life honoring God. Or this is, you have to only do worship a certain way, right? The, the worship, the, 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 like our style, or... We have friends who, who idolize miracles. We believe in miracles. We want miracles to happen, right? We want people to speak in tongues and get prophetic words and to have physical healings all over the place. That's what the Bible says. But what they, we, religious people tend to want miracles on our own terms. God, you're going to heal this, or you're not the true God. You're going to heal my heart. You're going to heal my body on my terms, or I'm going to. My faith is rocked. All right. We also have doctrinal politics as religious idols, right? My doctrines are the right way. Well, they might be true, and they might be right, but they're not intended to be weapons against your brothers and sisters, right? Or uh, branding, or hype, or the way we do church, or even little things like, I want my Bible to be preserved with no markings in it. (laughs) We all have these little idols that we have, and God goes out of his way to poke us in the eye on those things. He won't let us have it right because Jesus is saying you will have me and have life or you'll have your idols and they'll lead to death right Jesus is calling us to confess our idols in this maybe a question to help us think through this what are the things in our life together or your life with other Christians what causes friction in your life with God's people right but last a few weeks ago we talked about <coughs> Principles versus practice, right? Principles are closed-handed issues, right? The Trinity, Jesus, the, the goodness of God, the authority of the Bible, right? These are closed-handed issues. But the practices of how we live out those things, do we, do we wear V-neck T-shirts or crew neck T-shirts? Or do we do we read the English Standard Version or do we read the NIV? Like, these are all practices that are open-handed issues, right? Or However, you can expand the issue, right? How we think about uh, dating relationships or how we think about food and drink and how we think about music. And all Those are all open-handed issues. Is the way you orient towards other Christians, is it filled with friction? If it is, it, it could be an idol, right? And it could be a, a small thing, right? It was, uh, or it could be something that goes kind of unseen for a while. I don't know if you, um, cynicism is a category just to, it's just a category in the Christian life that I, I, want to continue to address and think about in my own heart. But I've seen, for example, cynicism come out in the most weird places, like earnest worship. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever listened to worship that sounds very earnest. God, I like. Uh, I don't know if you listen to Sons and Daughters, uh, uh, All Sons and Daughters. I remember listening to them, and I was just kind of like, man, like those guys are like real earnest. Like, pff, no way they love God that much. <laughs> <laughs> That's cynicism, right? But what God was exposing in that moment where I was just kind of like, pfft, it was an idol of saying, you know, God, I can evaluate people's hearts. I can know what's going on. God, you even more subtly, God, you are not worthy for us to express ourselves earnestly in worship for you. See, Jesus wants us to take those things and confess them. That's what the Pharisees aren't doing, right? They're putting God to the test. There's, they're saying idol. They're taking an idol and protecting it rather than confessing it. But let's pick up on. I just want to pick up on verse four because there's something here that we passed over. The purpose of why God wants us to confess our idols. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but Jesus says no sign will be given them. Given to it except the sign of Jonah. Right? When Jesus picks up on Jonah, it seems like a weird. Like that's like not the place that I would go to pick up and rebuke him. I go to like Isaiah or Jeremiah, you know, where God's just duking it left and right with our idols. But Jesus says, no, here's I'll give you a sign. I'll give you a sign of the prophet who is commanded by God to go and preach to the Gentiles, preach to all people at the ends of the earth that God is a redeeming, loving God. And he wants all people to be a part of his family. And what does Jonah do? He says, "Uh, no, I don't want to do that. Those guys, I've got beef with those guys. And so he goes and tries to fight and flee from God And he gets swallowed by a whale. And probably actually, the way the story goes, he actually dies in the belly of the whale and then gets regurgitated and spit back out and he goes and obeys God. And at the end end of the story, he's still disgruntled with God about it. (laughs) God, I knew you were going to be nice and merciful to these people. And Jesus says, I'm going to be the better Jonah. I'm going to be the one who does go and die at the hands of the very people that hate God so that I can be raised from the dead and then continue to go and preach the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, to the ends of the earth so that they would come and know my God, to know and enjoy be a part of God's forever family. Right? If you remember, the verses right before this, right in chapter 15, what Jesus just got back from doing? He just got back from preaching and being with people who were far from God, who weren't worthy of being near God. And so the reason actually, it's not just that we need to confess our idols because they're going to destroy us. Actually, we confess our idols so that we can join God's mission, we can get them out of the way. They are are hindrances of how we love our neighbors and love each other and display the goodness of God (coughs) in our community. So it's not just idols are going to kill you. Actually, idols are going to be in the way of you being able to serve God's love for our neighborhood and our city. They are the ways in which we need to confess so that we can join God's desire to bring more people into his family. Do our priorities and preferences conflict with or align with Jesus' mission at the at the hyper-local level? Do our preferences for what people should look like, how people should be, how convenient they should be in our lives, does it con- do those conflict with Jesus' mission to love them? as a community. So we're going to pick up in verse 5, because here Jesus has just gone after these guys and said, this is the main contrast, right? You're setting up your idols instead of me. But he wants to go after another thing that he wants us to confess. And I think this maybe touches on some, uh, maybe functional dynamics for us, in the same way that it touches on some functional issues in the disciples' lives. We're going to pick up in verse 5, in confessing our confusion... (coughs) So we're going to read verses 5 through 8 first. When the disciples reached the other side, right, so Jesus left and he went someplace else, they had forgotten to bring any bread, right? They'd forgotten to pack uh, their knapsack or their fanny pack or their backpack, right? Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, uh, we brought no bread. Right? Jesus was aware of this and said, oh, you a little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Right, Let's we'll just pause there. This seems like a bit of a weird story, right? You're like, okay, we forgot the bread. <laughs> Beware of the 11 of the scribes and the Pharisees. Right? Do you guys know the term a Jesus juke? Do you know what a Jesus juke is? Jesus is J-U-K-E, a Jesus juke. A Jesus juke is when um, it's like, the Super Bowl, yeah, the Patriots won the Super Bowl, yeah, everybody's excited. And then somebody says, pfft, I wish people were as excited about Jesus as they are about the Patriots. It's, it's like, bro, I was just excited about Tom Brady beating it out another time. You know, like, like how does this correlate, right? Like Jesus is not doing that here, right? He's not saying, like, ha, gotcha, like a gotcha thing or something like that. What Jesus is doing, I think, is they've been going across the, the water, oh, we forgot the bread, and Jesus is kind of mowing over. He isn't frustrated about the bread thing. But he's mulling over the nature of bread. Actually, if, you, if you've if you been kind of picking up the last few chapters, there's been this theme of time and bread going back and forth through the last few chapters where it's the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. He's using bread imagery in his parables. And so this is all in the background of Jesus' mind. Bread comes from leaven put into dough and it get produced over time and heat. Right? It gets shown over a little bit of period of time. It, it takes time, but that little bit of leaven, it does something, right? It doesn't seem like it's doing I don't know if you, how often you guys make bread, but the first moment you put leaven in the bread, it's like nothing's happening, right? But you have to set it aside and it takes time. Unless you're gluten-free, right? That doesn't But then let's pick up in verse nine. Do not let it do not do you not yet perceive. Do you not remember the the five loaves or the five thousand of the five thousand or how many baskets you gathered, or the seven loaves and the four thousand, and how many baskets you gathered, right? He's just kind of calling them. He's like, guys, like, if I was frustrated about the bread, like, do you think I'd talk to you about getting more bread? Like, I could produce bread out of like this little pebble. Like, this is not the deal. How is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, right? He's calling us to a spiritual reading of the situation. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the preaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Right, Jesus is saying, look, there is something that will produce something in you over time, and you need to be aware of what you're taking in. Right, he is saying, the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees will produce something over time. It is like the leaven that will eventually produce something. And I want you to be aware of taking in because it doesn't seem bad at first, right? There's a part of this where it just it doesn't seem bad, right? It's just leaven, right? But you take in the leaven of the Pharisees, and you're left with a fear-based religion, right? God, have I proved, have I proved it to you that I love you, that I'm in your family? God, the fear-based growth in Jesus, right? That's the proving yourself to God, or or the the leaven of the, the Sadducees, right? God, God, are are you here with us? Because we haven't seen any any spectacles recently. This this uh, worship dynamic where it becomes God proves himself to you, right? God, God, have you? Do you love me? Do you love me not? Jesus is saying, look, there's a way in which these things can kind of play out in us that aren't obvious at first. Um, and that's so. This is just for us at a at a practical level. which... The call is to be careful about the types of teachers and pastors and books that we read. I'm not saying, hey, you guys have to check with me if you're gonna read any books or any podcasts. But we have to be careful because they have, everybody is not trying to help our souls rest in Jesus. And they, it's often challenging to understand what exactly is going on. So for you know, just, I don't usually, uh, I don't go out of my way to uh, talk about who are teachers that you should avoid or pastors you should avoid. That's, that's not the type of thing that I do. But just to throw out an example of, from recent years, um, there's a guy named Tulian Chavidian. Um He's actually the grandson of Billy Graham. And he has been used by God in great ways to make the gospel really clear. Right? He has been very gifted in making the gospel very clear, but a part of his teaching has been over the last you know, five or ten years, this phrase, your sanctification is swimming in the pool of your justifications. He's trying to figure out, help us figure out what does it mean to live a life with God, to trust him, to know him, and to enjoy him, and to grow to be more like God. And his desire is to defend the goodness of the gospel. But he'll use this phrase, that our sanctification is swimming in the pool of our justification, which at face value, it sounds like, okay, yeah, okay, I, I kind of get that, right? I'm freely loved by God. I'm never going to not be freely loved by God and accepted by God. But what he does by that is when he, he does that is that he throws in this dynamic that's subtle. If I'm not growing, am I truly justified? Right? If, I'm not, if I'm not swimming, if I'm not growing in my, my, my holiness, if I'm not growing in my life with Jesus, am I, am I actually loved by God? Right? That, that's a subtle dynamic that's hard to see at first. There's other dynamics as well in there, but it's, it's something where at first blush, it's like, okay, yeah, this is helpful. But then you play it out it goes back to this dynamic, does he love me or does he love me not? It's because we have to be careful about the leaven that we receive, the the type of teaching that we take in, right? So what I want us to be as a, as a church is not, does Jacob give this a, a, a green check or a red X, right? What does Jacob think about this book? I would love to give you guys recommendations and talk through books, but what I want us to be is people, do we go to the Bible, and receive not only the words, but the tone and tempo of what the Bible is about. We have to think carefully. We have to grow and, depending on each other, work together. We're going to be like the Bereans in the book of Acts. Go to the Bible and get what the Bible has to say about something. So we want, just one thing to throw out there, we want to be a reading church. (laughs) We want to be a church that reads our Bible and then reads good books to help us understand our Bibles. And when I'm recommending books, no book is 100% Infallible, right? There are going to be ways in which we're going to find problems in each book that we read, but we want to graciously receive what they're emphasizing, so that we get more instead of leaven from the Pharisees and Sadducees. We want to get Jesus leaven, right? So, there's a few books to throw out there. If you want a book that's going to help you uh, grow, we're talking about uh, practicing affirmation this summer. We're going to be going through that book together as a as a group uh, in our small groups. How do we recognize God's activity in each other's life and say? God, I'm grateful for that, and encourage each other. That sounds like a great thing to do. <laughs> We're going to go through that book so that we get more Jesus-leaven in our hearts of how do we recognize what God's doing among us and to, to praise God for it and to encourage more of it in each other's life. Or A Meal with Jesus, a book that talks about, it looks at the book of Luke and says, you know what, it seems strange, but as Jesus advances his mission in the book of Luke, bro is eating a lot of food with people. We want to be just like that. <laughs> So look at a book like that to get more of Jesus, how Jesus lives out his own mission to seek and save the lost. Get that leaven in our hearts. Or if you want to read a book uh, about getting a, a broad picture, what does the Bible teach about a lot of different things? Read Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Right? Knowing God by J.I. Packer is going to help us get, what, is, what does it mean for God to be who he is? We talk about being a trinity. To What does it mean when we talk about Jesus returning? That whole spectrum, called, it's called systematic theology. It looks at each different category. Jay Packer's Knowing God, it's fantastic. Get more Jesus-leavened stuff like that in our hearts. And his, just to throw this out as a teaser, his book on adoption, or his little chapter on adoption in that, in that book, fantastic. And I'm not going to tell you about it because you should go read it. Or we're going to, if you want, uh, a book about who Jesus is, The Glory of Christ by John Owen. You can read the Puritan paperback, a little abridged version of it, which makes John Owen's very complicated to read sometimes. But it's uh, The Glory of Christ by John Owen. Seeing who is this Jesus that we love and worship, I want to know who He is and get that leaven more deeply in me. That's what we want we want to get more of this good leaven because we want to confess our confusion. right That's what we're saying, confessing our confusion because here the disciples are confused by what Jesus' parable is, but they they get the, they, they, they confess their confusion effectively when Jesus gives them more clear instruction about who he is and what he's going on, what's going on one way we can confess our confusion is reading good books, reading our Bibles and saying, oh, I was wrong about this. Because often we want to listen to ourselves and what appeases us rather than listening to what God says and what God loves. So we're going to pick up and go on here into verse 13 because not only are we confessing our idols and confessing our confusion to get more of who God is, but we want to confess our Savior together. This is the main point of this chapter. We're going to pick up in verse 13 to 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? Right? This is that point-blank question of Jesus. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? So did you notice Jesus starts off by saying, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Right? This is this picture of, Who do people say the Son of, the Son of Man is this Old Testament image for the, for the new humanity? What does it mean to be new in God? And what does Peter say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. All right, so, we have these two terms the Son of Man, the new humanity, and the Son of God, the one who represents and is God Himself and among us, being united to say, Jesus, you are totally unique. You're total, the new creation of what it means to be a human. And you are God Himself living among us. But there's this dynamic, we, we've talked about this before from Daniel 7. We'll just read these quick verses. Daniel 7, right, he's looking ahead, what is God's Messiah going to be like? And I saw in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heavens, there came one like a, here's that phrase of ours, a son of man, right, the new man. And he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So here we have, the, again, this culmination, this, this picture that Jesus is not just a cool dude, and he's not just wise, and he's not just a miracle worker. He is the new man, what it means to be human, to know God and to live God with God and to enjoy God, and he is God himself among us to rescue us from our darkness, and to do what? To make us a part of God's kingdom forever. Right? This is where we get this this dynamic in our main point confessing Jesus to join God's forever family. So how does Jesus respond to Peter's confession? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah. Again, that Jonah phrase, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whoever whatever you bind on earth shall be bound on heaven whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven then he strictly charged the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ so i don't know uh, we'll we'll make a few comments here and then we'll, it's it feels really warm in here is it warm in here Do you guys yeah we okay okay we'll stick with it but here this, this phrase where jesus says right to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Just to make this comment here, that I am grateful for our brothers and sisters who are uh, a part of the Roman Catholic Church, but they would use this verse to say, "Look, well, Peter, Peter's the one. Peter's the Pope, and everything that's true about Jesus gets, to, gets distributed to Peter, and Peter's the one that we all have to go to uh, and his church to be a part of God's family. That's not the point of what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is saying, Peter, you have made a confession about who I am that nobody else could have revealed to you. That is, that is true faith, and that shows that God the Father is at work in you. And Peter, you know what, you have a unique place where you will be the first among equals in your brothers. Right? He represents the rest of the, the disciples in saying. And so there is a priority of leadership here that he's giving to Peter, but he's not delegating the church over to Peter. Because you notice, what does he say? Whose church is it? I will build my church. It's not your church, it's my church. <laughs> and the, the the faith that you professed is the entry gate into my church. Right? It's not some sort of church that gets built upon your, your leadership and everybody who defies your leadership is against you because obviously, if you want to look to see how great Peter is, um, just to look a few verses down, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, because he tries to get in <laughs> Jesus' way. Right? So this is all about Jesus, it's not about Peter, but... Did you pick up on the language that he said verse 17? For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Again, there's this family language that Jesus is using. He's saying, the confession, that what you've seen about me in your heart, what you've known about me in your heart, what you've felt about me in your heart, that's not there because, of your, because you're so great or smart. It's there because my Father has opened the eyes of your heart to see and to know who I am so that you are a part of my family. And then what he, what he goes on to talk about with the keys of heaven, right? This gets a, we get. In a, I love reading about church government. I know that most people find that as a way to fall asleep, right? <laughs> Jesus is saying here, whatever you, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. Um, it's a grammatical phrase in the Greek. It's called a future perfect. And what it's, rec- what it's saying is, not what you do will be recognized. It's what you do has already been done. And so what he's saying is, when you recognize people as a part of my family, it's because I've already recognized them as a part of my family. And when you reject people as a part of our, as a part of your family, it's because they've already not been a part of my family. Right, because we're going to look at the life of the church. The next section of the book of Matthew is looking at the life of the church, the next few chapters, because that's where Jesus is going to go to. And he's already kind of laying it out for us. Look, confessing who I am is how you join God's forever family. That's how you get in. You confess who I am. And what does that look like to live in the messiness of the church? Jesus is going to go on and talk about that. So we're going to pick that up in June. We're going to look through that. But who do we confess Jesus to be? We, I just want to kind of do a spread over what we've looked at in this little mini-series in the book of Matthew because we have been confessing his good authority. Right? Chapter 11, we looked at resting in his good authority. His authority is for you, to bless you, to care for you, and to carry you. In chapter 12, we looked at submitting to his gracious authority. Right, He is not looking at you to flick you. He is welcoming you and eager to use you in His mission. Right, verse chapter thirteen. We understand the certainty of His authority. Life is confusing, and Jesus is saying that confusion and the uncertainty is not going to go away. We're still going to have the doubts of the night. We're going to still have our confusion in the morning when we read the paper. But He wants us to know you can know My authority and the certainty of who I am. Chapter fourteen. We looked at look how do we move on in the life of the church and get to know Him. And continue to go to him with, his, with our problems. So he wants us, look, well, confessing that Jesus is the only source of my life, of, of my life and joy in the church. right? It's great to be a part of God's people and to join his mission, but I need to go to Jesus to continue on going with him. Chapter 15, getting into that family dynamic. Remember, we saw how Jesus went out into, to, to reach the Gentiles and begin to bring them into his family. Chapter 15, surrender to Jesus to join his family. This is how Jesus is laying out his authority. His authority is not a political campaign where he gets his way or he crushes you. Actually, Jesus gets crushed so that you can experience this type of good authority in your life. He is continuing on to the cross, right? Verse 21, which we're not covering this morning, says, from that time on, after this, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Right, Jesus saying all of this. I want you to confess who I am. I want you to know who I am, I want you to enjoy who I am, so that you can join God's forever family. And he walks to the cross. He goes there, He doesn't get, he doesn't get uh, suckered into doing it. He goes there so that he can be crushed so that we can join God's family. So what does this mean for us? We need to go out of our way, to do everything we can to bring people as close to Jesus as possible so that they can know who he is and enjoy his presence with them. Right. There's actually a point I got from, I was uh, talking about this with John Moretto. so their River of Grace we just prayed for, they're preaching the same thing. There's John Moretto's point in his email to me, I said, John, what did you preach about? Help me to figure out how to do this sermon, because I'm a rookie preacher, I don't know what I'm doing. He so said, the main point, our mission, is to get people as close to God as possible, however we can, and let him, that's God, make the heart changes that reveal who Jesus is that he is the Christ. In the end, Jesus is the Christ, not because I say he is, but because he says he is. That's how our evangelism and our sharing of Jesus works. It's not cajoling people into confessing Jesus. It's living our lives close enough to people so that they can see Jesus is who he is because he says he is, because Jacob's a dirtbag, but Jesus isn't. We want people to see Jesus is the one and who he says he is because we want them to join God's forever family. That's the main point of this passage. Let us confess who Jesus is so that Jesus is how we join God's forever family. And we see that Jesus is over everything. Not, any, not all of not our traditions, not our confusion, because we want Jesus. We want to get him. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to confess who Jesus is, to know him, and as we confess who he is, to embrace him and to walk with him. And Father, I pray that you would use our lives so that those around us would see who Jesus is and embrace him for who he is, to confess Jesus and join God's forever family. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire.